We've been looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, particularly uh, the Apostles' Creed, as it explains the Apostles' Creed. And I noted last week that when we get to uh, the Holy Spirit portion of the the Apostles' Creed, there's just one short line, and the Heidelberg Catechism devotes just one question and answer uh, to the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to look a little bit more, because uh, while the Holy Spirit wasn't as, as big an issue in the day of, uh, of the uh, writing of the Heidelberg Catechism and other things were more the focus, like the Lord's Supper and some of the other differences we had with the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the Holy Spirit is, is much more seen, much more visible in churches today, in charismatic movement and the like. So we're going to look at the role, of, continue to look at the role of the Holy Spirit. Last week we, we just asked the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And, and looked at some aspects of the Holy Spirit's life. Now we're going to look at a, an aspect of His work, and we're going to continue to do that over the next few weeks. Now, since there's only one question to answer the catechism, we're not going to read that every week. Um, and so what I'd like to do this evening is just read a couple of articles from another of our confessions, the Belgic Confession. And so I'm going to read, you don't have to read along with me or anything, but I'm going to read from Article 11, which really talks about who is the Holy Spirit. So it's really a kind of a reminder of where we were last week and what we talked about last week. And you'll hear very similar things to what I said last week. And then we're going to jump to uh, article 24, just look at the first paragraph which starts talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, particularly in regeneration. So first of all, uh, article 11 is called the deity of the Holy Spirit. It says, we believe and confess that the Holy Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but only proceeding from the two of them. In regard to order, he is the third person of the Trinity, of one and the same essence and majesty and glory with the Father and the Son. He is true, eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. And then as we turn to Article 24, just one short paragraph, but it talks about under the heading, the sanctification of sinners, which is often the role we particularly ascribed to the Holy Spirit, he talks first about regeneration. We believe that this true faith, produced in man by the hearing of God's Word and by the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerates him and makes him a new man, causing him to live the new life and freeing him from the slavery of sin. Our focus this evening is going to be on that regenerating a work of the Holy Spirit. And so to that end, I'd have you also turn with me in God's Word to John chapter 3. And we're going to read portions from John 3 and John 6. I have, um, you have before you in the bulletin and on the screen, the verses that we're going to focus on, but I'm going to read a little longer uh, parts of that section so we get the context of it as well. So John 3 First of all is uh, the famous story of Nicodemus, the Pharisee, coming to Jesus at night. And they have this conversation, and the Holy Spirit plays a large role in that conversation. So I'm going to read the first 21 verses, actually, of chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be plainly seen be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And of course, the, the overarching uh, point here is about the role of the Holy Spirit in rebirth. And then I want to have you turn ahead with me to John chapter 6, because there now Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he also has an opportunity to say some things about the regeneration through the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I'm going to back up a little ways from the focus. Uh, I'm going to focus on verses 63 to 65, but let's back up to verse 53. Jesus has just uh, fed the 5,000, and then he uh, talked to them about being the bread of life. And then he got into some things that sounded a little strange to them. He would lose some disciples because of it. This is what he says in verse 53, John 6, verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And then particularly these next three verses, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. So we're going to focus on those two passages. You might want to keep your Bibles open and uh, We'll focus particularly on John 3, 1 to 8, and then those last three verses of John 6. It's appropriate as we come to talk about the Holy Spirit that we ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak through us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as you inspired these words to be uh, recalled for us that we might uh, grow through them, we realize that you also inspire the spirits within inside us to hear this word, to understand it, to, to accept it, to seek to believe it and to live it out. And so we pray that, that you would do your private work, your individual work in each one of us individually and also in your church as a whole that we might understand what it means to be born again and what it means to live life in the spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a cold night outside of Soldier Field in Chicago, a night of sub-zero temperatures. The parking lot was filled with hundreds of cars frosted over, all with dead batteries. A man bundled up and unrecognizable, every breath rising in the night air like a smoking chimney, moved between the cars. Behind him, he was carting a lone car battery and a pair of jumper cables. In his wake, you could hear the unmistakable sounds of car engines coming to life again. I think that's a great metaphor for the work of the Holy Spirit. We continue our look at the Holy Spirit by focusing on his role in our lives, particularly the spiritual fruit he leaves in his wake Now, we first meet the Holy Spirit all the way back in Genesis 1, verse 2, where we see the Spirit hovering over creation. And then we meet him again in chapter 2, even though he's not named, when the Father breathed in us the breath of life, the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, breathed in us the breath of life. So if you think about it, from that perspective of creation, the Holy Spirit inhabits everyone, but not all in the same way. For believers, the Spirit not only gives us birth, but also gives us rebirth. Not only generated life within us at the creation in Genesis, but he regenerates life, a second Genesis. Like a dead car battery, we are recharged, given a new life by the Spirit. And so, briefly this evening, let's look at two passages. 
where Jesus, first to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and then to his disciples, explains the role of the Spirit in our rebirth. The first question we're going to ask is why? That's probably first thing in our mind. Why do we need to be born again? Now, that phrase, born again Christian, seems a little redundant. It's kind of like theological stuttering. Born again and Christian should mean the same thing. Now, some of us grew up long, long enough ago to remember the 1980s. You're saying, well, yeah, probably forgot it by now. But you may recall that the whole idea of being born again was kind of popular back then, believe it or not. But this term, born-again Christian, doesn't come from Charles Colson or Billy Graham or Jimmy Carter, all who made it popular. It comes from Jesus himself, who says here, you must be born again. And then he goes on to note the importance of being born again with some very strong words. So I'm going to focus on some some words here, a phrase and then a single word, where we see Jesus, first of all, proclaiming a universal negative. And the universal negative is, no one can. No one can. Now, when you say this, how many exceptions are there? None. It excludes everyone. No one can. Well, what, says Jesus, can no one do? Verse 3 of chapter 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 5 of the same chapter. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 65. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Now those are strong statements. Think of the implications for Nicodemus the Pharisee who believed in keeping God's Torah and who believed that he was doing it and and Jesus says no one can. No one can, not even you Pharisees. And then in verse six, chapter 6, verse 65, to his disciples, Jesus says, no one can come to me, not even my closest followers. No one can. Understand how radical this is. Not a single person can enter the kingdom or come to Jesus. Paul puts it another way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul says that in relationship to God, every single person is dead. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
A dead person cannot see the kingdom. A dead person cannot get up out of their grave and enter the kingdom. A dead person cannot come to Jesus. No one can. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He comes with an all-important little word that's easy to ignore, but it's very important. The universal necessity. No one can unless. Unless. Jesus does give one possibility. Only one way. And again, he states it so strongly as to eliminate all other possibilities. Back to those same verses, 3 verse 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 5. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 65. That's why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. This points the absolute need for rebirth, for regeneration. You may have heard the phrase, God has no grandchildren. The idea is that you can't get to heaven based on your parents' faith. You have to have a personal faith. But it's also true that except for Jesus, God has no natural children. We are all adopted children if we are in relationship with Christ. No one is born a Christian as we looked at this morning. We're all born in original sin. Everyone has to be reborn of the Holy Spirit. And no one can unless there's the Holy Spirit working in our lives for rebirth. But then we turn to another question. Nicodemus asks it one way. He asks the hard question, how? How does this happen? He could understand physical birth. He could understand creation. But how can we participate in a second genesis, a a new birth? But maybe the better question is not how, but who. Who is the agent of salvation? Who is the agent of our rebirth? And it comes down to two possible answers, us or God. So who's the agent of our rebirth? Is it by human faith? I mean, we, say, we confess as, as Reformed Christians, we're saved by faith, right? Well, yes and no. Yes, if you mean faith is the avenue by which salvation comes to us, by which we accept that salvation... But no, if it means that we're thinking about it coming to God through the strength of our faith. We hear Jesus echoing, no one can. No one can. Well, we believe in Christ in order to be born again, right? Wrong. In this scheme, the order would be first our faith then our rebirth and justification. But that means the initiative falls to us. And no one can. It implies that even in our dead spiritual state, we have enough righteousness and faith to come to God. But in chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, the flesh counts 
for nothing. You can't do it by flesh. No, the actual order is first rebirth, then faith that accepts justification through Jesus. First rebirth. The Belgic Confession, as we read earlier, states, we believe that this true faith produced in us by hearing God's word and by the work of the Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us new creatures, causing us to live a new life and freeing us from the slavery of sin. So the actual order is first rebirth. We're dead, right? We need to be reborn. First rebirth, and then through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive a faith to accept the justification that happens through Jesus Christ. And that calls first for God's initiative. Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 65, unless the Father has enabled him. No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. The first step of our salvation is God's alone because rebirth takes place when we're dead. God has to give us life before we can exercise faith. Go to any morgue or cemetery and offer the bodies there a million dollars and I guarantee there will be no takers. Dead people cannot accept offers, whether a million dollars or eternal life. So how, as Nicodemus asked, does this happen? Well, God uses the Holy Spirit to inspire us, to breathe into us literally. And just as the breathing in of the Spirit brought physical life at the creation, so he also breathes in spiritual life. That's why Jesus said we must be born of the Spirit. Once the Spirit breathes in spiritual life, regenerates us, then he also gives us the faith to accept and to trust God's offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no physical creation, no physical birth, and without the Holy Spirit, there can be no spiritual recreation or rebirth. Both are initiated by God. We cannot create ourselves, obviously, but we also cannot recreate ourselves. We can only receive both gratefully. What difference does this make? If you're relying on the strength of your faith and good deeds to come to Jesus, you might as well be dead. Unless a man be born again by the Spirit, enabled by the Father, he cannot come to Jesus or enter the kingdom, no matter how many times you come to church or how much money you put in the collection plate. But if you're relying on the Holy Spirit, who gives life and creates faith, you can be assured of salvation and eternal life. Because the Spirit not only begins the process of salvation, but as Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we'll look more at that next week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit. Without your, your Spirit, we could not come into relationship with you. After all, no one can. We thank you for, Holy Spirit, for causing us rebirth, for taking us from the tomb and causing us to 
to come to a relationship, a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the faith that you've given us to receive it. So we pray that when we get uh, a little heady with ourselves and we, we think we're a little bit better than the next person, remind us that indeed no one can come to you unless your Spirit has worked in our lives. And so it's all based on your grace and not anything we've done. And so we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your Spirit. And we pray that we might live lives in step with the Spirit in this coming week. For Jesus' sake, amen.